Hello, I'm Cathy Rensenbrink, and here is an extract from the Bookseller Podcast, where I am interviewing Hannah Beckerman. Now it's time to talk to Hannah Beckerman. Hannah worked in TV for 12 years before becoming a full-time author and journalist. If Only I Could Tell You is her second novel. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, people talk about the difficult second novel. Was it a difficult second novel for you? Difficult, I think, would be an understatement. (laughs) I mean, it's been... I think the very fact that it's been five years between my debut and my second novel probably highlights the fact that it has been a little bit tricky. There are two failed novels in between. There's Ah. two novels that just I tried and just didn't work. So there's probably 250,000 words redrafted many times over two books that just didn't come to pass. So I'm sort of, I'm trying to think of this now not as my second novel, In a way, it feels like my debut because it feels like so long since my debut was published. And I feel like I've learned so much in that five years of just writing and rewriting and rewriting. It sort of feels like a bit of a fresh start. But in another way, it feels like my fourth book because there's two manuscripts on my computer. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen the light of day. So two novels locked away in a drawer somewhere. Will you ever get them out again or is that it? Have you just accepted it as part of the work that had to be done but will not ever exist? One of them, I think, was like a really, really flawed flawed project (laughs) that will never see the light of day again. It was a historical novel. I don't know what I was doing writing historical novels. I'm not an historical novelist. I'm a contemporary novelist. But I sort of needed to kind of play with that to find that out. I had to kind of write a book. Other people might know that about themselves when they start. I didn't. But the other book is a book that has I tried it in two different iterations it's about a subject that is really close to my heart I was going to do it actually for the next book and it still wasn't quite there it will be a book at some point it might not be for another 20 years but the the subject and the characters in that book will I would lay money on it would would end up in a book one day down the line um because it's something that I just really, really wanted to do. And I think you you sort of psychologically and emotionally have to be in the right place yourself to be able to tackle certain issues, particularly if they have some kind of personal resonance for you. And it might just be that I am not quite at that place yet, but I hope to be in the future. Well, you've certainly worked hard enough for it as well, haven't you? <laughs> um, I love the way that you acknowledge that it takes work. Because I think often the press stories around books, you know, they tend to focus on the, you know, the sort of person that, you know, one day I, my hand slipped, I accidentally <laughs> wrote 80,000 words and then someone gave me loads of money. <laughs> Whereas really, it's almost always involved hard work, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I think it's what's really interesting, like, especially with around genuine debut novelists, if you look at the kind of crop that are coming up this year, and there's always just a kind of narrative around the idea that, as you say, they've kind of written this book and they've got the six-figure deal and everyone's fating them and as being the next big thing. Generally, it's not their first book. And if it is their first finished manuscript they've done, it's not the first thing they've ever written. It's often they've been working away at short stories or they've been trying to do other things. Um, And I think it's really unhelpful if you're trying to write to have this narrative that someone else just kind of sits and beavers away for something for six months and suddenly they're like a, you know, observe a new face as a fiction. It's very rarely the case. <laughs> yes, and it's not necessarily easy. They're worthwhile, we hope. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but also I think, you know, with writing, it is so much kind of, you throw everything into it and it's, it's the sort of sum total of everything that you feel and think. And that takes time to kind of refine and work out how you're going to distill that into characters and stories and a narrative that other people will be able to empathize with. I don't think most people can do that kind of overnight on a first mm-hmm. attempt. So two novels abandoned on the cutting room floor, but I'm holding in my hand a copy of your actual published second novel, If Only I Could Tell You. Tell us a bit about it. 
So it is about three women, really. It's it's about a woman called Audrey, who is in her early 60s. And at the beginning of the novel, we discover that she has terminal cancer. And she has two daughters in their 40s, and they have not spoken for 30 years. And Audrey, the mother, does not know the reason for their estrangement. She has two granddaughters, one by each daughter, who have never been allowed to meet, who are now 17. And she desperately wants to find out what this rift and schism in the family is before she dies and tries to repair the the estrangement in her family. I'm not going to give any twists away, <laughs> of which there are um, many. I want to ask you as a sort of a process question, how do you decide which information to keep back from the reader and when to reveal it? I think that comes really late in the process, actually. I mean, this book, I think, has been through 24 drafts pre-copy ah. edit. Um, I think it was 12 before it even went on submission. And actually, once I was working with Harriet Bolton, my editor, we basically unpicked the story mm-hmm. and sort of started again structurally. So the characters were the same, the story was the same, but in terms of when we revealed bits of information, that was a process of probably six months of really, really detailed, you know, red herring placing, um, <laughs> a restructuring to get those layers of narrative so that you would be slightly discombobulated as you were reading it. Well, I think it's very generous of you to share the hard work that sits behind because it is very accomplished. So I just read it thinking like, <gasps> how did I not know that before? But it does that brilliant thing, whereas I was surprised but didn't feel tricked. That's the thing, isn't it, with readers? You want to be surprised by what happens but not feel that you've had the wool pulled over mm. your eyes in any way. Well, it's that thing of, of it has to not come out of the blue so if mm-hmm. you reread the novel you want the reader to understand of course that's where it was all leading to and of course there's that hint there and of course I misread that chapter where I thought it was about x but actually it was about y so I think it's about making sure that by the time the reader gets to the end if they reread it they would understand everything that was there that was leading up to those revelations as they come. I really liked the dedication to this book um, which is I'm going to read it for Aurelia from whom I promise never to keep secrets. Yeah, so that's my daughter. She is six. And um, I'm really interested by the toxicity of secrets and how, you know, there is still within kind of English culture particularly, this kind of stiff upper lip, let's kind of keep everything very hidden. I'm from a family where we like to get everything out in the open. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes with, you know, friends or, you know, with my partner, there are culture clashes in that dynamic. And I am just intrigued by the way that some families manage to keep hold of really important information about their family history or relationships. They think that by not talking about it, it doesn't have an effect. And of course, by holding on to secrets, they just come out in different ways, whether it's in, you know, acting out in bad behaviour or in dysfunctional relationships elsewhere or in insomnia or in unhealthiness or in illness. And those secrets will find a way out. And that's what I really wanted to explore in this book is the way that the secrets that people think they have hidden come out in behaviours and relationships elsewhere. I just feel with families that if there is one thing that kind of almost silently rips families apart emotionally it's not being honest and open and uh, when my husband and I very early on decided that we would be very very honest and open about everything so there are various schisms in my family that we have told her about from a very early age and um, that she is you know kind of as aware of as you can be when you're six but I don't you know I always had that feeling I didn't want her to get to kind of 10 or 11 and I suddenly say well you know there's this person that you've never met who blah 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 blah. and so I, I just feel that it's much kind of healthier really to not have those kind of secrets because I think that's where 
tensions inevitably lie. And what does Aurelia think about mummy being a writer? <laughs> I actually mentioned in the acknowledgements that my daughter said to me, mummy, um, if I can write a book in two days, why does it take you two years? Which is, I guess, a fair point because it does only take her two days to write a book. No, you know this, you know, having a child of a similar age. There is something so kind of wonderful about their pride and their excitement. So every time we got another quoted, she'd go, oh, Marianne Keys is quoted. Oh, she has no idea who Marianne Keys is other than me saying, I really, really hope that Marianne and Keys likes the book. So every time another quote came in and every time I go to school pick up, like her teacher will say, she's been talking about your book again, when is it out again? And then we can just all go and buy it and we can stop talking about it. So she is my sort of unofficial publicist and main champion. Maybe she will write a book herself in the future that it might take just a little bit longer than two days. <laughs> a little bit longer. We're going to do BBC 500 Words competition. Mm. I think that's a good start. 500 words rather than 100,000. Um, tell me, the book's about to come out. Do you feel nervous? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> um, nervous, I don't think, would even begin to describe it. I feel I would say sort of preoccupied on a pretty much constant ambient level about what will happen in a few weeks' time, yes. As well as being a writer yourself, you also interview writers at festivals. Does that help with the nerves, take your mind off yourself a little? I think I just find it really useful because I, I sort of use them all, those those. Um, events I kind of use them as a sort of personal writing masterclass <laughs> so I always find ways of asking authors who I admire and look up to about their writing processes and what they do and how they do it and so it feels like a real just a real privilege and I often come away and scribble down some notes about something that someone much cleverer than I has said about their writing process so it just it feels like a kind of yeah a personal masterclass. So writing journalism interviewing authors you have a really full writing life what do you like best about it? Or not having to go to an office. I like, I quite like being on my own, which I guess most writers do. And I like the variety. I mean, I think also being kind of a novelist and a journalist and doing events, there's just such a kind of rich variety. One day I'm writing, you know, questions for an event and the next day I'm back in the next novel with characters who only exist in my head for the next probably year and a half. Hannah Beckerman, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Very best of luck with the book, If Only I Could Tell You, is published on the 21st of February. Thank you. Thank you.